This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we're here to become better habitat managers. Welcome back, everyone, to the Habitat Podcast. Our goal here is to learn and become better habitat managers together. You learn, I learn, we all learn. And we do that by these awesome interviews with the special guests that, that come on every week. So if you're new, thanks for coming. Uh, all of our information can be found at habitatpodcast.com. All right, guys, we are in it. Week number two with Mr. Dan Taylor out of Michigan. So if you listen to last week's episode, you already have a good idea on who Dan is, what kind of hunter he is, where he's from here in central Michigan you understand most likely that he's a smart guy. He is calculated. He knows what he's doing in terms of hunting, pressure, habitat, and he's a cash crop farmer. Uh, That's what he does for a living. So this second half of the conversation with Dan starts here today, and we cover more of the farming and soil and no-till side of things. You know, fall food plots are being put in very soon. I've seen some people doing it already very soon into August here. Um, you know, people are ordering their seed. So it was important that we want to talk to Dan about this. So what Dan, this is the sentence that he sent me that I, I'm going to read the sentence to kind of give you guys a, a better idea of what this episode is going to be about. As a diehard whitetail hunter and cash crop farmer, quality soil is near and dear to my heart. Soil health and nutrient efficiency concepts have really perked my interest in the last couple of years, 
And it's crazy how much it contradicts what I grew up learning and practicing as the proper methods or conventional methods. So Dan is um, working to change his cash crop practices, his day-to-day job and life to improve soil quality and profitability. And what we talk about here, we talk about some soil health. We talk about you know Dan's original thoughts until and his thoughts now, how that changed over time. Coming from the conventional way, um, there's a neighbor in his area that's been doing no-till and soil conscious uh, practices for like 20 years and how that guy kind of seemed crazy a while ago, but now he's producing some of the highest yields out there. We talk about some minimum tillage and weed control, herbicide use, um, how cover crops can save you 20 to 30 bucks an acre in the cash crop world. Uh, and then, you know, we talk about glyphosate and, and the price of that and, and how Dan's getting away from using that with similar mixes to what Vitalize offers here as well. So great food plot strategy and soil health episode here from Dan Taylor. We'll get you guys right into it here in a moment. I'm going to give away a pack of afflictor broadheads. You know what? Make that two packs. I'm going to give away two packs of afflictor broadheads. So as you guys know, we've been partnered up with afflictor here. Um, shot them last season, the broadheads last season. Brian and I both had great luck with those. And Brian shot a bear with his this spring as well. So we've been using them and putting them through the test. We're confident in you know what we tell you guys about them because, well, we shot them. Um, I shot them through shoulder blades in my bar, and I know what they do. They come out looking great. Um, so basically, the ferals, are, the broadheads are made here in Dayton, Ohio, and they're hand-assembled in Texas. So, guys, I'm going to give away two packs of broadheads. I can't remember if I have both the, the K24 blade and the fixed EXT in the barn. I believe that's what I'm going to give away. Uh, either way, two packs of fixed blade broadheads for you this fall. How do you get entered into doing this? You either need to go scroll down in the notes for this show and leave us a great review on Apple iTunes and put your name on there. And uh, not only will I send you a free decal, but you'll be entered in the Afflictor Broadhead giveaway. If you've already left us a great review, you will be entered as well. So thank you for that. Another way is to just email us your information, info at habitatpodcast.com. Um, we have a list of habitat managers where we send our, our, our latest blog posts and podcast episodes to, you'll be added to that list and you'll be entered into the afflictor broadhead giveaway. Again, giving away two, three pack of broadheads. So six broadheads to two lucky winners here. Um, scroll down, leave us a good review or send us your information via email. Next, I want to talk about Exodus trail cameras. You guys know, we've been using Exodus for well, even longer than afflictor. Um, we have great luck with the render cell cams, but more importantly, right now, if you've been seeing us hashtagging the term Velvet Fest, that's because the Velvet Fest is their current campaign goes till August 19th and every camera order comes with a scratch off card that could save you 15 to 25% off your next camera or their brand new MMT arrows. Exodus has some awesome arrows now. Um, if you're not familiar with Velvet Fest, it's pretty much the official start to deer season. And we're getting the ball rolling. You know, everybody's summer scouting, looking at the Velvet Bucks. Uh, you know, get your cameras out there. It's, it's time now, guys. I put mine out usually in July. I've already had a bunch out. I suddenly put a couple more out. But now it's time. I'm getting Velvet Bucks up on the Northern 70. 
And I'm actually getting Velvet Bucks on the 15th, too, in July. Normally, that doesn't happen till you know, September, the first year. Last year, it was August, and now it's even July. They're, they're moving in earlier and earlier on the 15th. Um, due to the habitat work there. So, but from July 15th through August 19th, they'll have awesome prizes for people who use the hashtag VelvetFest on social media to show their whitetail adventures. So if you guys are if you guys are putting stuff on social media, trail cam pictures, camera hanging, whatever, hashtag VelvetFest, and you're entered into a prize drawing as well. This must it's just a week of giveaways here, Habitat Podcast and, and Exodus. So you know. To get things started, though, they do have 20% off any multiple Exodus render order for the first 100 orders. Uh, the Velvet Fest is code for that on the website as well, code Velvet Fest. So, guys, every single camera order comes with a random prize card, the scratch off. Um, you know, these guys have a five-year warranty, theft and damage coverage. They're just solid cameras. Check them out, Exodus Outdoor Gear. And use the hashtag VelvetFest, you know, for the next two, three, four weeks while you're out there in the woods. Get your cameras out, guys. Get us some field edges, some mock scrapes. Um, we like to use the Exodus render for that. So that's enough from us. We're going to thank the rest of our partners here. We're going to thank Packer Max Cult of Packers, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Morse Nursery, Vitalize Seed Company. Realtree, United Country, Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and First Light. Guys, we are going to uh, continue to ship out food plot orders. If you don't have your fall food plot seed, check out vitalizeseed.com. All of our dealers, on there, we have dealers all over the country. They're on there. They have the seed in stock. We also have it available online for ordering at vitalizeseed.com. Free shipping. It's in stock. Free shipping, it'll be at your house within like two days. So um, we're getting a seed out to the masses. People are having great feedback from the spring, and we cannot wait to uh, watch the big bucks suck into these fall food plots this fall. So vitalizeseed.com for your fall food plot orders. Now let's get right into it with Dan Taylor, Cash Crop Farming. All right, everybody, we're back again with Dan Taylor, we are covering a different, let's say, path here. We're going down uh, the farming path, the soil path, uh, food plotting path. Dan, tell us about, you know, what you do for a living. You mentioned you're a cash crop farmer now and have been in a family who does that for a long time and kind of, you know, where you guys started in terms of your way of farming conventionally. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty common for the area as far as, um, and obviously with, with any type of industry or anything, uh, as technology and practices and stuff change, um, you know, there's always things that, uh, may have been the industry standard or the, the, you know, the common practice for a long time that over time we determine, Hey, there's maybe a better way. Um, and, uh, so no, I had the opportunity to come back after a brief pause on it um with the cash cropping and you know not that it's all it's always been important but soil health um soil productivity you know all those for for so many reasons it's it's just it's it's more critical i think than ever um you know from 
not only a financial standpoint, but environmental, you know, all the above. And uh, it's been a little bit humbling. I mean, there's, there's, you know, a lot, take a lot of things that, you know, traditionally were what we were taught or what we knew or what we thought we knew and they're kind of getting a twist. And uh, so it's definitely keeping it exciting. Um, Primarily, uh, you know, referring to, um, you know, more technology and uh, no-till cover crops, um, you know, all, all kinds of different avenues that can improve efficiency, profitability, that type of thing. So um, I just found it interesting, um, you know, with uh, your Vitalize program, you know, kind of falling in line, you know, with um, obviously from a, you know, food plot focus, but yet um, so much uh, in a level uh, with, you know, large scale agriculture, that type of thing. there's just so much there. And I do want to say before I forget, um, for your listeners, uh, Al is a crazy wealth of knowledge and I'm, my mind is blown anytime I message him how quick he gets back. Like no matter what it is, like he's just available. I, I don't even know how that's possible because I'm sure he's getting a ton of other messages, but, um, super knowledgeable, super helpful. He's genuinely interested in what you have going on. He genuinely wants to help. Um, so anybody that's been on the fence about learning more or whatever, I mean, just hit him up on messenger or whatever. He's just, he's going to get back with you quick. And, um, he sure seems like he enjoys every second of it. So, uh, really appreciate it for that. So, um, and trust me, uh, even doing what I'm doing, the guy knows way more about soil, uh, than I could even pretend to. So, um, definitely a, a valuable asset that you've got there on the team oh 100 percent. good resource for everybody who who needs the help too so we're just happy to be pushing healthier soil and, and the knowledge behind that and helping people with it so no they're great appreciate yeah. that i'm sure al will be glad to hear that yeah so but yeah so i mean the interest not only from you know environmental reasons stuff like that but quality um and the real one that hits home currently, uh, at least in a cash crop standpoint, um, input costs. Uh, it's it's crazy. I mean, we've got record high grain prices, which is great. Um, a lot of that's been eaten up just in the past uh, year, um, be it through inputs, uh, fertilizer, herbicide, uh, diesel fuel, um, even the cost of machinery. I mean, there's just nothing out there that's... Um, cheap at all so efficiency in the utilization of all that stuff is super critical um with record high grain prices uh you could still go broke very quickly um through poor management practices that type of stuff um a couple quick numbers i I did pull here recently um just fertilizer for for uh, wheat crop this year so some fall applied starter last year and then spring nitrogen this year um, you could easily be 130 to $160 an acre um, for that fertilizer, depending on your program, depending on your prices you locked or, or didn't, or whether you're running spot price, that's a whole other deal. Um, just $80 an acre in nitrogen cost alone is what I, what I paid this spring, and I did not buy it the high. Um, so it, it's, there's, there's, you know, these are not little numbers that we're 
you know, looking at right now. And uh, especially guys it, who are doing multiple acres or thousand acres or yeah. plants, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, hundred dollars so, an acre, um, fifteen hundred acres. Do the math, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot. And to say that you're just not going to spend any money on it, you know, uh, wheat requires nitrogen. It requires you know phosphorus, potash, all the above. It it's it's got to have those to reach its you know potential. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, um, if you do spend the money and you put that out there, you want to make sure, you know, that it's, it's doing its job. And I, and I have a, a pretty good example, uh, actually it just, uh, combined the field two days ago now, three days ago, I guess it was, um, <clears throat> so some really good productive ground. Most of it's a heavier clay, um, clay park hill type, uh, blend, but for the most part, very, very quality soil, but it does have some lighter, um, a few lighter little ridges in it and pH has been neglected for a little bit. Not crazy. Um, still going to test out probably at a six. Um, so nothing super low, but it's, um, actually with the weed off it, there's a, a pile of lime that will be spread here in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, um, wheat is one that shows, uh, you know, pH deficiency. And, and the way it's really going to show that is through, um, tie up of, uh, lack of availability through, you know, nutrients that may or may not be there. In this case, um, the nutrients were there. I put them there, but the, you know, the soil chemistry, soil biology, um, it doesn't matter what you put it there. If, if you're not starting with your base where it needs to, you, you're, you're just going to struggle. You're going to have weaknesses. And, uh, so what I noticed, everything came out, it started out looking well. We did have a lot of rain, um, you know, early spring through, spring here um and so it did put some stress on the wheat and what i started noticing as the um warmer temps were climbing and i that was post uh, my spring nitrogen application when the majority of the wheat was getting that deeper green and really started to take off i had pockets that were um not only not getting green they were actually going the other way uh getting the yellow hue to them um <clears throat> kind of suspected, you know, you can tell with the soil type, um, we knew pH was going to be a little bit of an issue. So we had a tie up there in micronutrients, uh, because it became pretty urgent at that point in time, we didn't take the time to do a tissue test to find out exactly. So, uh, we ran a, uh, foliar feed, um, included some manganese, magnesium, uh, zinc, sulfur, uh, there might've been a couple other ones, um, that we kind of quick did a quick little remedy to get it on there it did bring some color back to it um and it definitely helped but you know it's not free um so got got the application to get out there and do it and, and the, the cost of it um but even when the combine ran through there even with doing that um i could see a 20 30 bushel yield lag when i hit those spots wow um, it, it probably would have been uh way more noticeable had we not done the foliar feed because that's really only a the foliar feed is kind of okay, this will get this for a time. It doesn't really change your soil. It's just, to, you know, helping that plant along. Correct. Um, so basically, and, and I'm, you know, people have heard this before, obviously, but the stress on knowing where you're starting um, can save you a lot of money because, you know, a guy could, you could throw the adequate fertilizer out there to produce a successful crop or, you know, in food plot case, maybe tonnage or whatever we, we may like, or, you know, nutritional value in the plant. And if you're not starting out right, you can put it there. But if it's, if that soil chemistry and biology 
isn't uh, firing on all cylinders. It's, you know, some of that money is just kind of going down the drain. And uh, with the cost of these inputs, it was one thing back of fertilizer cheap. Yeah, if it's, uh, it's an extra, you know, a few bucks here and a few bucks there, maybe it was quicker and easier to just put on extra. And, and that was the old school way. Well, if something's good, more's better. Um, but we're, we're financially learning now that that's really not feasible. You, you have to make what you put out there count. Um, and, and to just say you're going to, you know, do a Hail Mary and, you know, think everything's going to turn out. Sometimes it will, and, but sometimes it won't, even under very, you know, heavily managed practices, um, let alone food plots. So it's, uh, that was a real, I don't want to say eye-opening experience because I kind of expected, but a, a reality check to, um, you know, how quickly even highly productive land um, you, you can, you know, over time, just a little bit of mismanagement and, and uh, or lack of, you know, can, and can creep up and show. So, yeah. um, so let alone taking a food plot, which most guys are just transitioning, you know, out of, you know, whatever, uh, not necessarily anything that's been, um, you know, managed for any great length of time. It, it takes time, you know, starting out there on my home property. I don't have the bar set incredibly high. Um, and, even as I'm saying this, I'll tell you that I went out, I got my spring program underway and uh, I have yet to pull soil samples off it. Um, but uh, I want to get the ball rolling and uh, we'll get those, get those done, see where I'm at. Um, we did put in about two acres of the nitro boost. Um, that's doing, doing well. Weed control is my primarily primary concern this year, honestly, um, for this summer crop. I just, I just wanted to get the ball rolling. Um, so I, they're not the most pristine plots, but it's there. I mean, the deer are hammering it. Um, I, I hope that I get enough uh, tonnage there to, to fully let it do its job. Exactly. Um, Biomass. I, I've actually been <laughs> I've actually been spending more time out there than I traditionally would, just running through at peak hours to uh, uh, ironically run the deer off it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, sounds kind of counterproductive, but uh, yeah. Um, and when you said you're so, trying to keep the weeds down, uh, what what's your reasoning for that? Just because it's competition, um, correct? Well, so I, I had a few different areas that were primarily dominated by um, cool season grasses that I'd selected based on topography. Not so much soil type. I mean, all of our soils are more than capable. Um, I'll obviously have to do some maybe different strategies, amendments based on what the specific needs are. But um Traditionally, what you'll find is when you take a, in, in this area, if, if, when you go to get, clean up those cool season grasses that tend to dominate, you can easily get those knocked back. Um, you just don't know what you're going to find, what's in that seed bank, whether you do much disturbance or not. Um, there's, I mean, there's going to be weed pressure there that, that you might not see, you know, pre, you know, while that fescue is, is dominating the landscape. Um, so some of it was just to get that knocked back. Um, I, this year, I don't remember my exact dates. I went in, it was after, you know, when all the cool season was greened up, I did my first uh, burn down, uh, just a glyphosate burn down. I uh, waited a few weeks, <clears throat> let that get, you know, really laid back. And then I went in and I did just scratch it, uh, scratch the areas with the disc a little bit more so just to disturb that seed bank and see what came up, see what I was going to get. Um, 
because I wanted to do a second application um, just prior to, or sorry, basically let it come back up, broadcast my seed lightly, uh, sorry, broadcast, sprayed, let set for just like a day or so, and then broadcast it, or disked again very lightly um, and just kind of played around with that scenario a little bit to get some of those rod leaves that were starting to come up, get a little control there. Um, and then the hopes were that we'd get really good rain and then, um, you know, the flush of the food plot seed would come in and help canopy and, and do some of that. And we've been terribly dry, but, uh, thankfully I do have, I did get, uh, really good germination for the conditions. Um, stuff's coming along pretty good. I've got some ragweed, uh, some milkweed. I've got some stuff out there that I'm not worried about. Um, most of it has pretty good nutritional value or pollinator value so just it's gonna let it be and then we'll come in uh here later this summer and i'll, I'll broadcast the carbon load and then uh do another burn down and uh see what we get from there and it, it's just gonna take time they're not gonna be pristine looking plots for you know the first year or two but uh eventually they will and you know we'll get them straightened out so i, I do want to you know people post pictures of good looking plots this and that and a lot of them you know, for most part, anyone's done a while, they understand it doesn't happen overnight. So guys don't want to get discouraged when you don't come right out the gate and yours doesn't look like how you pictured it in your mind the day you were planting it. Exactly. And you have to have, like you mentioned, rain. You know, we've had yep. pretty dry, uh, I think I planted mid to late May, pretty dry since then. Besides the last, like, 10 to 14 days finally we're getting consistent showers and you can just see it green up shoot up you know with the rain um like anything would so it's pretty pretty neat to see that and, and just you know eradicating those weeds i mean you were talking about or we were talking about you know rye in general it's lelopathic traits and and how you plant rye or how you've planted rye in the past to kind of try to achieve the same thing with the weeds yep. um yeah, good biomass production of rye and then uh, laid down, you know, via herbicide or crimper or rolling or anything like that, um, you know, later on, uh, you know, after it's had some growth in the, the spring, early summer, I mean, the weed suppression, I've seen some trial data, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's per, very impressive, even if you terminate it without herbicide. Um, and, you know, one thing to think about, uh, a lot of our weed seeds, I mean, if you, Weed seeds are tiny. They're, they're just, I mean, there's a ton of them, but they're so tiny. They don't have a lot of energy in that seed. Right. And if you get much ground cover at all, um, you know, uh, any type of mat to suppress that or just other growth competition, you know, something that can block that sunlight from the soil, anything like that, it severely reduces, um, you know, that, that weed pressure. I mean, it's just that seedling doesn't have the energy to push through all that. It may germinate, but it, it just doesn't won't necessarily make it to, um, you know, where it can become a problem. So, I mean, anytime you can keep something growing, I don't know the exact term, but, um, you know, whether it's nature always fills a void or, or however that term goes, um, you know, if, if you're not putting something there on purpose, um, you, you can kill everything off, but stuff will just continue to come back. You, you have to, um, you know, work the, alleviate that in, in that way and, and don't get me wrong for years herbicides have been the way to go and i'm not saying 
someone should or shouldn't. That's personal preference. Um, but one thing, you know, the days of cheap herbicide are probably gone. Um, it, it's expensive. I mean, a lot of stuff, obviously everyone knows glyphosate, but uh, a lot of your other ones, just because they can, um, are, you know, following that curve up, um, you know, looking at some soybean numbers and stuff. I mean, a guy could easily, if you had to do two applications on a soybean crop this year, um, and you could be looking at excess of $60 an acre, um, depending on what, you know, species you were having issues with. If you had mare's tail and, you know, had to run Liberty or something like that, it's, there's just expensive and it's not probably going to get any cheaper anytime soon. Yeah. And what, what was it two years ago? I mean, you're, you're, you're buying this or the farms you're working on, you're buying this by the truckload. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's, um, I'm, fortunate either high volume through um other applicators or you know buying uh together in groups and stuff i mean but i mean just that price alone has tripled in the last year um wow. i think life state went you know uh you could buy it for sub ten dollars a gallon and uh you know it's if you could find it you know and this was not current or this would have been i'm trying to think timelines all kind of mangled in, you know my brain but uh you know, some of that a year later was thirty, you know, thirty dollars a gallon, and you're buying it, you know, bulk that type of stuff. Right. So it, it, it's just, and if, obviously, if you're buying it, you know, in a two and a half gallon jug or whatever, at a farm store that's everyone knows. Yeah. Most of your listeners are aware of what that's done. Oh no, um, kidding. So. Well, to your so, point, also with the weed seeds, um, you know, you plan the spring nitro boost mix, then you're going to terminate that over the fall carbon load mix so you're laying down a weed mat over those little weed seeds that are in the ground and then you know the more times you cycle through the program so spring fall spring fall spring fall you're building up that that thatch layer at least making it more consistent to where you're going to be able to hold those weed seeds from getting the the sunlight and the energy they need to come all the way up to the top um yeah well, it's in, in turn reducing your herbicide costs, right? So, you know, well, you... And, the, and the nice, the nice thing with the timing of a lot of that, uh, if, if a guy's going in with that carbon load, say in August, um, we're pretty much in, in this area, we're pretty much past, I mean, most of your, most of what's going to grow this year has, has germinated and it's either there or it's not. Right. And hopefully you're timing it out. Not all, some things will have gone to seed prior, but hopefully we're going to terminate some of that prior to it going to seed. So we're essentially, you know, hopefully utilizing some or using up some of that seed in the seed bank and not just continuing to replenish it. Um, you know, so like you said, as you on go through that process, even in a no-till situation, I mean, the goal is you're depleting that seed bank in the soil and, you know, it just should get easier over time, especially as you have less weed competition and you get years with good biomass production um, out of your, you know, your plot itself, you know, it's just, to your point, it's just going to make it easier. Um, and, and, you know, you, there's, you see a lot of guys adding, you know, especially say sandy soil and if they do a, a soil builder mix or whatever. So you go ahead and, you know, the old, I don't want to say old, but it used to be believed in order to get the value, you had to, you had to put it back into the soil, you had to till it and you had to plow it under, you had to do all those things. And that's just not the case. In fact, if anything, you're giving that an opportunity instead of laying that mat down 
we're giving it an opportunity each time to allow those seedlings that are still there to do their thing again. Um, right. the, the weed seedlings, that type of stuff. So, um, you know, we, I remember when we were younger, we seeded clover and alfalfa and, or I'm sorry, alfalfa into wheat and, uh, man, it put on some beautiful tonnage and then, uh, you had to plow it down. Um, now a lot of the cover crops and stuff you don't have to do that we can terminate them other ways and you know keep that topsoil covered that type of stuff so it's and trust me like i said i'm i'm still an amateur and when it comes to those regards um learning very interested and uh, there's finally a starting to become a lot of great information out there you know not only for large-scale agriculture but for you know food plot that type of stuff so um, definitely a definitely something that that's perked my interest and in. going to be spending a fair amount of time, probably a message and Al a fair amount as well. <laughs> um, so now are you seeing anybody in your area doing more of the no-till or at least recognizing soil health more so than, than they used to? Oh, yeah, I, I think for the most part, most, most large scale or any, for that matter, any scale operators, um, you know, they're obviously aware of it. Um, there's challenges that come with it. There's learning curves. Um, you know, we can all say on paper, this is, this is how it works and this is the best way. And you can have a complete failure um, in the field, literally trying it. Um, so it's not that it doesn't come with its challenges and, and trying to fit, figure out exactly what works for your best area. But overall, yes, there's a growing interest in it. Um, you do see more guys playing around with um, not only, you know, no-till but cover crops in some areas some areas of the country no-till has been very prominent for a long time i mean a lot of years it's not a new thing by any means other areas you know there's still a transition um we've kind of run a blended approach for years of uh we typically no-till our soybeans no-till our wheat um but typically corn um uh we do a tillage for corn and, and the primary reason with our little bit shorter growing season here a little bit heavier soils uh no-till with corn can be a little trickier uh cool damp spring it's really hard to get that soil temperature um to where you need it for good germination on corn um tillage can expedite that um you know it's yeah that that's kind of the hang up in this area where it's made it trickier um traditionally if you're going to run a no-till program um this far north you're probably going to run a little shorter maturity day corn um, you've just got to be patient. Your emergence might not be as great. Um, so there, there's some things that make it tough that you can easily fix with a little bit of tillage. Um, I do think, uh, you know, diesel being, you know, considerably more expensive now than it was just, you know, 18 months ago, um, will sway guys, you know, to really try to adopt that, uh, a little more rapidly than maybe they would, um, traditionally. And, and yeah. No different. No different than any other industry. I mean, labor is an issue. You know, even in the ag sector, that type of stuff for skilled, qualified operators, that type of thing. So, anytime you can improve efficiency and reduce, you know, labor costs, fuel costs, equipment costs, that type of stuff. I mean, um, you know, guys are gonna they're just gonna have to adapt and, and look at those practices maybe a little more readily than they used to. Yeah, and even I mean. All, all things aside, in terms of input costs, time was my biggest factor. Well, it has been for, well, about eight years now since I've had these twins um, yep. and they, my young boy. But 
like the fact that you don't have like I was reading a Facebook post yesterday where the guy was asking about do I spray the way a week then disc the way a week then spray again the way a week then plant and I'm thinking oh there's a three weeks to a month right there and I used to do that you know I used to go disc or spray then disc and spray again some guys were saying disc again I was reading the, the comments there's a multitude of comments um there's like one guy on there who said spray and plant <laughs> and then yep. I was, that was exactly what my what my reply was spray and plant um or crimp and plant or plant then crimp or, or whatever your your tools are but yep. i was kind of forced into that you know years ago going no-till and you can see so i still i still use a disc to plant my screen um in the springtime so i that's the only time i use my disc and i just up my soil this year uh there were earthworm chunks my kids were picking out. We had a game to try to collect who could find them the most. Yep. Like that wasn't happening five years ago when I was disking sand or yeah. like loamy sand. I mean, it's a big difference for just no till in general. Um, or I should say less soil disturbance in general. So just a time, just time, time saver, oh, you know, one trip or two trips versus four or five is what got my attention this whole thing. Well, and I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily live at or near their hunting property. So it's not, I mean, it's just frequency of frequency and then timing of when you can get there. And then the, the whole trouble of, you know, do I need to haul equipment up? You know, it's, it's just a, anytime you can simplify and, and really make that more efficient. Um, you know, that's a win, you know, all together. And, uh, and, you know, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty committed. I, told you earlier i uh <laughs> sold my little disc so I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm out of the game anything i've got in my farm equipment's not fitting in the food plot so um <laughs> it's gonna be well, yeah you, you sold your disc you and you bought the fall carbon load already so i know you're committed so no we're we're going that way and and a few other you know quick food plot things that i've you know i i do uh i did some this spring and, and i had some success in the past um uh, if a guy wants to just go in and uh, pick an area that maybe it's fairly primarily cool season or something like that, I don't have much. I had a few areas that didn't have a lot of woody brows, little open pockets. Like, yeah, might be interesting here. I just went in and did a single application of clepidum back in mid-May and kind of wait and see what happens. But I mean, it's, it's, it's all, it's Forbes, it's, you know, all kinds of different uh, broadleaves, that type of yep. stuff. And I mean, I've got deer in those plots, um, just as you know just crazy and i mean it literally took me minutes i had the sprayer in the back of the ranger and i did my rinse and mixed up the tank and went out and sprayed a few different spots and patches and just it's kind of exciting to see what you're going to get and uh i mean get, guys shouldn't discount that no that's more of a summer plot type scenario um but i thought if nothing more that may help alleviate a little pressure off of my summer plots you know being in this deer dense area so that i can hopefully get some benefits you know of the nitro boost and, and that versus having it just i mean these plots are small enough with, with those couple acres i mean if I, there's and they're secluded had i just gone in and tried to plant soybeans on there i mean there would just be nothing to show for it um you know they, they would browse it down to nothing um so and plus i'm in an area that i mean it still blows my mind <clears throat> there's corn and soybeans everywhere here that's the last thing i'd want to plant in the food plot you know just a monoculture of one or the other 
I mean, don't get me wrong, I've done it before because when you have strategically have seed left over, it's like, oh, this will work. Um, but on the same token, I don't know that that's really providing the value that I'm looking for long term. So exactly, and I like that. And for people who don't know, clothodim is just a grass specific herbicide. Yeah, yeah. So, so what Dan did, he's just killing and eliminating the ultra competitive and overtaking grasses and just allowing forbs, which are deer food to come up and, and, you know, you know, more crude protein be hammered by the deer, et cetera. I like how you thought of that to take pressure off your food plots. Like you're in an area with so many deer, like you mentioned that that needs to be done. I know, I know there's some other ways people do that. They fence it in or um, my friend Brad has a, a mixture you spray on there um, mm-hmm. and whatnot, but like, one of our land plant clients, Josh, um, he has a very high deer density area as well. He planted the nitro boost in a seven acre field and all of his neighbors now are calling him like, Hey, what'd you, what'd you have in that field? You had 80 to hundred deer out there the other night, you know, yeah. like what, what and, like, and, what's and, going on, you know? And, and then they, they go around and they do some more scouting and find out that there's like, you know, 10 combined deer in the surrounding 50 to 55 acres of hay and whatnot or whatever else is out there. And then he's sucking them all in. So to your point, if the deer eat it all, then you're, you're not, you know, having nothing left to, to crimp and terminate to help build that soil or at least very little left. So there can be, well, a, and thank, I mean, and thankfully, I mean, a seven acre food plot, I mean, that that's on the large side for, for what most, you know, most guys are going to do. Very true. Um, I, I would think, I mean, obviously you, you know, with your uh, land plant clients, you have a better idea than, than I do, but I mean, um, there's a big difference uh, between a six, seven acre plot and a two to three acre or, or smaller um, as far as how much browse it can take and, and you know where that all is, the amount of deer pressure. Um, I, I think my biggest plot's uh, an acre and a half. Right, um, yeah. Total. So, I mean, it's you obviously can't just let them have a free-for-all in that the whole way through or you're just not going to get you know some of the value the way they need to. And that's And, I mean, I've got... You know, I've got uh, corn to my south this year. I've got 160 acres of soybeans directly on my north property line. Um, so it's not like they don't have opportunities elsewhere. Um, but part of it is, too, is I've got mine's close to bedding. It's all secluded. So it's like, I mean, I'll have deer in there any hour of the day. Right. Um, you know, especially even this time of year. It's... Um, so I, I just thought that might be a neat way to inexpensively, hopefully alleviate pressure. And, and it's worked very well. I mean, I've got a ton of deer activity in those, those, uh, you know, just browse plots that, um, definitely making a difference. So, yeah, that's, and that's, you know, I like how you did that. Cause I mean, these, these mixes are super attractive. So, you know, that can be a, something you need to consider if you're in a high deer density area, um, you know, but if you want to see deer and hunt deer, that's also a pro. So it's really, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of cool just to see the different feedback we're getting from different spots in terms of deer density and um, attractiveness. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. So no, it's uh, definitely what I mentioned to you earlier, uh, kind of what really I, I talked to Al briefly on it as well. Um, as far as the no-till um, in our area, one of the first guys to really adopt the practice, and, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't an easy road for him, um, but I think he's done really well with it, and it's starting to show. We, we actually had the opportunity to rent some of his uh, land 
um, to plant corn on it a few years back. And it's literally, I mean, our property lines touch and it's the same soil type, this and that. And what was really an eye opener for me, uh, that particular farm, I, I had probably been, had to been at that time pushing 20 years consecutive of no-till, um, where ours had been a traditionally a corn soy wheat rotation, uh, soy's wheat, uh, would have been no-till, but every third year we would have done fall tillage and then spring tillage going into corn. Um, so we weren't a whole lot different, but we were still, we were kind of, uh, you know, doing the, the deep tillage and then some shallow spring tillage every third year at least, and where he wasn't. And both very productive farms, but man, his, his soil, it was, it was different. It was just, it was like being in a whole different area of the county. Um, the Just the texture, the the color, the, I mean, the look, the smell, the feel, all the above, um, it just, it blew my mind. And you didn't really notice it because you'd always had it covered for, you know, it, we didn't see it um, until we were actually out in it and, and working with it. We actually had to, we, were, we did inject some hog manure on it. Um, and with injecting it, we did have to do some soil disturbance. And I'll be honest, I, I kind of felt guilty. I mean, we were adding a ton of nutrients back into the soil and doing so. But I, I just felt guilty because I'd never seen so many earthworms. And uh, it was just, it was, it was crazy how, you know, 10 feet onto his property was completely different than ours. And I just, I mean, didn't know what it all meant at the time, but it was one of those like, wow, there's something to this. And, and how's he, how are his yields overall? Do you have a, um, I would say, that, I would say they're just as good, um, nice. if not better. Wow. Um, and then his, he, he runs, you know, obviously less equipment, less fuel cost per acre. Um, I think he's even running, I mean, now that he's been in tool for a while, I would dare to say his input costs, um, at least on the fertilizer side of things, um, would be reduced compared to, you know, what traditionally guys would run in this area. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some struggles. Like I said, corn can be tricky in this area. Right. Um, done right, it's still manageable. And, and, uh, and, boy, you don't have to go very far south of here, and it's a game changer. Just the, the, the difference in heat units, the growing season, that type of thing, where right. that's not as, it's not as much of a challenge as it, as it you know, is right here at our, our latitude. So. so with your latitude... Um, when are you going to plant your fall mix, the carbon load mix? What, what's your thoughts on that? Um, well, <laughs> I don't have a, a set date necessarily. It's probably going to, probably going to come down to a, uh, um, just a time availability, um, between we've got a few more days of wheat harvest and then, uh, do have some straw baling to do. And then perhaps some ground. I do have a uh, hundred and some acres of alfalfa going in probably that first week of August. Wow. Cool. Uh, so we'll, we'll have that. So we'll just kind of see, I mean, it's not a big undertaking. Um, I'm going to say from my food plot standpoint, because I'm going to go no-till, I would like to say, I would like to see some ground moisture and an increased chance at uh, some rain. I think that's probably more important than the actual date. Yep. Um, than anything. Uh, so, I mean, any time from that, you know, tail end of July through probably almost any time in August is still fine. I mean, <clears throat> there's still a lot of, a lot of time in September to get, you know, things up and going if it needs to be. I don't know that I, I wouldn't want to wait till September, um, for that, but, uh, 
you know, uh, probably just going to watch the weather and boy, if, if we can get a, you know, a good probability of a soaking rain or something in that late July, early August time frame, that's what I'm going to target. Yes, sir. I'm and, kind of in the and, same boat. Yep. So, and it's, I mean, I think I'm going to have enough growth there that even if it doesn't pan out, if I get that broadcast and I get that, if nothing more rolled down um, and then sprayed or whatever, if that mat can hold and I can keep the critters from, you know, eating all the seed, it, it'll lay there for a bit, um, you know, until it does get a rain on it and then it can do its thing. So, um, you know, the, exactly. The, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of more or less what mine did for the nitro boost of spring mix, you know, cause um, a little rain right off the bat, but a lot of it is really starting to fire up and, and, we're hearing the same thing. I think you said it even you got three tenths of an inch of rain the other day and yep. greens right yeah, out. Yeah, like, for, for, for as little as that was, the, the response was just phenomenal. <laughs> so it was, it's definitely, you know, and that's, I mean, that's another thing. If you, when you're running in these dry, dry conditions, um, you know, no till is a good thing from that standpoint. I mean, you're not, you know, doing tillage. If you had moisture and you went out and dissed a couple of times right now, if you had moisture in that top couple of inches, by the time you're done, you don't, um, you know, see, so worst thing to do is plant seed into not enough moisture where it just germinates and then it can't actually, um, you know, do its thing before it runs out of moisture completely and dies. So, um, you know, the, the no-till, once you've got it in, even in a drier year, once things are up and started, they just tend to take that, they'll take that drought stress a little better. Um, 100%. Than traditional, yep. you know, so. And, you know, I would say more years than not, um, well, it, it's just gonna there's gonna be stretches of July and August it's gonna be dry and it's gonna be hot I mean there's just a, a year where you don't run through a dry stretch at least for 20-30 days during the summer is pretty rare so you know that's just something you gotta take into account um, you know, when you're spending the money and the time on the food plots that you could do everything pretty much right and mother nature can uh she can be the ultimate decision in whether you're a success or failure. And the nice thing too is though, I mean, a fall plot, traditionally speaking, you're going to get something to grow. I mean, you could come in and rescue it if you had to, you know, if it's thin or whatever, you can broadcast some oats or some winter wheat or some rye or something to thicken it up if you need to. And, and uh, that way you've still got some biomass, some, you know, food there, that type of stuff traditionally your weed pressure is going to be a little lower. I mean, to, to go in and do tillage and prep a fall plot, I just don't know that it's really necessary. I think you're going to do more damage than good in that, in that scenario. Well, I trust the words from a guy who does this for a living. So I uh, appreciate the, the advice there. Did you have, Dan, do you have any other um, fall food plot techniques or tips or strategies? I know we've, I've had you here for a while. I want to make sure respectful of your time here. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, cereal greens, uh, you about can't go wrong with those. Um, you know, they'll, rye especially will grow in pretty poor soil. Right. Um, it's going to germinate down to a low temperature. So if you're behind the ball and you get it in late, you know, you're still, you know, it's, it's, it's winter hardy. Um, you know, everyone knows that, but, uh, uh, yeah, no. Um, and I'll be honest. I mean, my, food plot expertise I like I said in Michigan cover is always more important to me than the food in, in our area now obviously that's different if you don't have to go very far north of here and that um 
that Flops. tipped upside down um, yep. food <laughs> becomes the priority. Um, so one thing I've, you know, just from my schedule and from time standpoint, um, cause I'm not, a, I, I might be more flexible than a lot of people, but I, I don't necessarily have more completely free time. So efficiency is important to me. Um, I do have a luxury of, uh, you know, we farm close to a lot of our ground that I hunt and, um, I'm incorporating not only for soil health reasons and for cash crop and some value added, but, uh, some alfalfa into a few strategic farm locations, um, which I, you know, I'll fully, you know, commercially harvest, do all that stuff. But, um, you know, I like that early season action anyways. And if I can transition some of those bucks to some of my properties a little earlier and uh, just make that October hunting a little better. Um, so that's where I've got, uh, um, a uh, couple farms going in here late July, early August, we'll get seeded that were wheat. Um, and uh, so <laughs> a large share of my food plots are uh, just fields and, uh, but they'll, you know, they'll set up nice. I've got um, good doe bedding right adjacent to that and some properties laid out that I think it'll play out well enough. They're, you know, they're a ways off the road. There's some, there are areas that mature bucks already would be okay with being so if i can transition that to uh a little bit earlier um so hopefully it's a win win for everything on that so very nice very nice well i think what we'll do then um i want to thank you for for all your time here today dan and i know that uh we were talked about possibly doing a hunt giveaway so we're going to hammer you and I are going to hammer on the details on this behind the scenes. I got a couple things with NDA. I got to work out and figure out dates and this and that, but everybody stay tuned. Um, Dan's come up with a pretty gracious opportunity and um, you'll be hearing more about it here in the future, but we're going to hammer out some details. And I just, Dan just says what kind of guy you are and, and appreciate you coming out with your time and um, just thank you. I look forward to, to seeing you uh, put down a big buck this fall, my friend. <laughs> well now you put the pressure on me <laughs> uh oh I jinxed it <laughs> so, I, for some reason no, I'm not uh, worried about you <laughs> I'm sure I can turn something up <laughs> so, but but no yeah I really appreciate you taking the time this has been a blast um, you know I just, something I love talking about love love doing and uh, no different with if we can put something together on a hunt um, you know just kind of want to share uh, you know some of the opportunity that I've had and, and uh you know, feel like extending that offer out. So we'll, we'll get something hashed out and figured out there. And, and, uh, also, you know, any of your listeners feel free to reach out. If you got anybody in the area that would like to see my properties or pick my brain or maybe find some, you know, do's and don'ts, that type of thing. I'm always more than happy to chat or message about any of that stuff. All right. Everybody can find you on Facebook, right? Yep. Awesome. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, on the Habitat podcast group and uh, Michigan Quality Deer Habitat, that stuff. I'm not on a, on some of the great big groups necessarily. I think just a lot of stuff gets uh, lost in the chaos. But sure, yeah. Some of those some of those smaller groups are actually I prefer to. I think I think there's more more to gain out of those than all the other odds. So yeah, if you're not if you're not in the Habitat chat 
group on Facebook, go to Facebook, search Habitat Chat by Habitat Podcast and join that group. And uh, you will be able to unlock your knowledge, potential and reading and everything in there because that's, that's such a great group. Very, very yeah, happy absolutely. about that. So and thanks okay. for your contributions in there for sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And it's, I just like it doesn't get bogged down with, um, you know, drama or anything like that. It's it's there's some really good content. And, and uh, you know, you guys, you, Brian, Al, I mean, the, the different group members, there's a lot of good stuff. And I feel like when someone asks a question, you don't get 200 off the wall answers. You're, you're going to get a handful of probably some, you know, pretty realistic and relative to the information and uh, get a person going in the right direction. So exactly right. Exactly. Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, bud. We'll be in touch soon. Keep in touch. Sounds great. Thanks, Jared. Have a good day. You too. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, Packer Max Cultipackers, Afflictor Broadheads, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Mm -hmm.